Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Manna Podcast, Daily Bread for the Daily Christian. My name is Sam Jeske and I'm the pastor at Our Shepherd Lutheran Church in Crown Point, Indiana. And thank you for tuning in uh, this Friday morning and joining us for an awesome session, digging into God's Word and uh, and uh, finding ways to inject Christ into everyday conversation. Uh, with me, I got a special guest, uh, awesome brother of mine, um, somebody who has been long overdue to be on this podcast, but finally we got the chance. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, my uh, brother and uh, fellow pastor in ministry, Pastor Justin Shrum. Justin, thanks for hanging out, man. Absolutely. It's my, my uh, privilege. Justin, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're serving, um, and uh, maybe a bit about your family, um, what's it like where you're at, maybe talk on the culture or the context that you've been called to serve. Just just uh, tell us where you're at and where you're serving. Sure. Um, well, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a tad bit older than, than many pastors when they first get out of the seminary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 37 years old, which isn't uh, old by any means, but um, I'm a second career student uh, or a second career pastor. I, my first career was the military. Uh, I served uh, in the United States Navy for about, um, oh, close to six years. I uh, went in shortly after 9-11 happened. Uh, there was a, a wait because of, uh, because of a mass influx of uh, young men and women who wanted to serve their country. And so we had to wait a little bit. And so um, I served uh, six, about six years, like I said, um, in the Navy on the East Coast. I was in Bethesda, Maryland, which is right on the border of Washington, D.C., and uh, in Maryland at a naval hospital, and I was there for about a little over two years, two and a half years, and then I got stationed out of Norfolk, Virginia on a um, Aegis cruiser, and the sole purpose of that ship is to basically follow around um, the carrier that is in your strike group and make sure that they're not attacked by uh, aircraft, ships, or submarines, um, and so I, I did that for about a little over three years. Um, on the East Coast. I did two deployments, one off the coast of Iraq for six months, and then one seven-month show of force. And that mission kind of changed from hosting foreign dignitaries to following around um, the Russian fleet out of the Black Sea that comes out after every 10 years to test its weapon systems. And then from doing that to making sure um, two Middle Eastern countries didn't destroy each other over some, some disagreement. Um, and then getting back to hosting foreign dignitaries for a while. So, um, and then I got out. Uh, I got out uh, after that deployment. Um, got I got I pulled back into port. Um, got married, um, and I was on leave for about ten days. And within that ten days, I got married in middle and uh, in uh, Michigan. And then my wife uh, and I said goodbye to each other about ten days after or five days after we were married. Um, I flew back to my duty station, processed out of the military, and then we took the wonderful um, honeymoon route of driving across country um, to get back to my my home state, which is California. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was fun. And that was back whenever we were in a, a bad recession and gas was like $5 a gallon. Yikes. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but I did a year out in California. I... I, um, I my, my background, I guess, a little bit about me is I was baptized in the Catholic Church as a baby. Um, didn't believe in Christ whatsoever. Um, I was probably a deist or a theist, believing in a creator or a being that exists that's greater than myself, but not knowing who it is, even though I prayed to that being. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and then right around my teenage years, I got involved with um, New Age paganism with uh, Wiccan and witchcraft um, for a few years, um, experienced some scary stuff, um, and uh, then basically kind of faltered back into a, maybe a deist or agnostic point of view until I got in the service. And um, when I got to the ship, when I was in Virginia, I had a uh, Southern Baptist chaplain to share the gospel with me. And related to me as a, as a father and a son type of relationship. Um, and so uh, when I went out to California, I went to go to a, a Southern, uh, not a Southern Baptist school, but a free will Baptist school for a year until I got, until um, I went through a Bible information class in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Senate, um, got accepted into MLC Martin Luther College for pre-seminary training, um, did five years or did four years at uh, Martin Luther College um, suffered the loss of a child uh, while I was there, um, struggled with if ministry was the right call for me, if faith was the right call for me, um, and then um, said, this is ridiculous if I believe in a, a God who is all-powerful, all-loving, and, and always good um, and compassionate, then um, though I might understand my experiences, I understand that there is something greater than myself, and um, I want to seek to know that that person. Um, and that led me to the Wisconsin uh Lutheran Seminary, did four years there, and now I am serving in um, southeastern Michigan, um, which is really interesting because it's probably the furthest south in Michigan you could possibly go and still consider yourself in Michigan. I'm right on the border of Ohio, about five minutes away. Um, I'm smack dab between two major cities in, in um, Michigan and one major city in Ohio, mm-hmm. and yet my um, cultural environment that I'm in is a, uh, a township of around 1,500 people, um, largely uh, Caucasian Americans, uh, most of which are blue-collar individuals um, who are, uh, politically speaking, uh, more Democratic than Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as um, the mentality, it's more of the, the small town. Everyone knows everyone. Right. You, can't, you can't run into... Um, you can't throw a stone and hit somebody that doesn't have the same last name as about 50 other people. (laughs) Um, And, and, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's what I've been doing. I'm going uh, next week. I'll be going into my fourth year of ministry. So July 16th is my, my four year in the ministry mark. Um, And, uh, and it's pretty awesome. That's very cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, just four years of some great experiences and insight. I have, um, as uh, you know, at, at the time of recording this, this is I am literally wrapping up my first year, um, just wrapping up my first year being a pastor, and I'm still quite green-eared when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And go figure, uh, um, the first year being a pastor, 25% of my first year was spent um, uh, significantly in quarantine, conducting worship services from the study <laughs> of my parsonage. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, it definitely makes it definitely makes you appreciative of the relationship that Timothy, the young pastor from Ephesus had with uh, the apostle Paul, mm-hmm. just the, just the encouragement and the guidance that he had with the senior pastor who had gone through a lot. Um, and his call was to a, uh, a place that was enriched with much dispute and contention <laughs> and issues. <laughs> so, right. Um, kind of interesting, kind of interesting. No, I, that that's uh, it, it's interesting that you bring up Timothy. Um, it's um, who 
um, felt it, you know, and Paul gives that impression too, where he just kind of talks about how, you know, you shouldn't let other people look down on you because of your age. Um, that uh, though you may be younger, you nevertheless, uh, you, you speak a word of authority, not because you're, you're my understudy, but because you proclaim the, the word of God, um, the sound uh, instruction that has been entrusted to you. Um, and what a joy that is to have brothers in the ministry who, um, you know, thankfully I don't have to, I don't have to pen a letter and wait for the, um, wait for the post office to, to circulate that back, but I can, I can call up somebody and, and even have them sit down with me in a wonderful podcast such as this. So, <laughs> um, and then just, uh, shamelessly leverage their experiences and knowledge, uh, for, for myself, but then also for sharing with other people too. So thanks Justin for hanging out. I'm really glad that you could be here. Yeah, um, a great joy. Absolutely. Um, so, um, Justin, um, from what you were kind of sharing, you have a, you and I kind of have a similar background when it comes to um, maybe entering the pastoral ministry. I mean, you obviously have some exceptionally different and some unique stories too. I, I also had a, um, you know, maybe a, there were, there was a, probably at least a year and a half of a, of a well-pronounced agnosticism in my life. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, engaging the faith that I grew up with, um, you know, there were some circumstances in my life that really warranted and necessitated that I do that, that the faith that I grew up with, I needed to interrogate (laughs) and engage. Um, and so I have always kind of had a love for, um, a love for the lost and the drifting and straying and, um, those, uh, who are struggling to find the answers, but then also who are grappling with really difficult questions. And you touched on a couple of those. Um, so it shouldn't be all that much a surprise that God has worked in you a love for evangelism and Christian apologetics. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, I think your, your story is one that's not unique. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as you are a, a wonderful, unique individual in certain regards, um, your story, as far as um, struggling with um, um, agnosticism, is I think it's the default position of most people um, in the world, uh, whether they've encountered a religious view um, by birth that they were nurtured along in, or they just um, kind of existed in a world and were exposed to different elements of things. I mean, um, and I think it's it's really not that far of a stretch for for most people to fall into that category. I, I would almost be pressed to say, I'd almost be pressed to say that most people who claim to be atheists, if they were honestly truthful with themselves, would probably say, "Well, I'm really not atheist. I'm I'm more of an agnostic. Right. I'm just struggling with my concept of who God is and if there is a God and and all that." I think it's more inclined to be that way than the other. I think most of the the hardened skeptics that are that are atheists are probably more in the academia um, um, scholastic world versus yeah. the modern the modern mainstream populace. Yeah, your Richard Dawkins, your Christopher Hitchens, your Sam Harris, um, your Bertrand Russell. Um, there, yeah, within academia, you'll you'll see people who perhaps show the the at least when it comes down to their worldview, they will more truly articulate an atheistic position. Whereas you talk with a lot of, um, a lot of other, um, 
some of the modern atheists that you bump into really what they'll, they'll kind of say exactly what you said that they 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 espouse more of the rhetoric of an agnostic even though they'll say stuff like well i'm an atheist i lack belief in god uh the thing is is that it, you know on atheism it's it's atheism is not devoid or without a truth claim it actually is inherently a truth claim whereas you're you kind of talked about deism or uh, theism to be a theist or deist is you're acknowledging that there is that there is some divine presence or there is some divine um, being behind all this. Generally with deism or theism, you're, you're referring to one singular entity. Um, but you're nevertheless acknowledging that they are, they are behind the scenes. They're, they're, um, they're uh, you know, maybe it's as generic as the first mover or the unmoved mover. Um, but nevertheless, you're acknowledging that there's something out there that's much larger than you, um, perhaps a personal, uh, powerful, holy, omnipotent force. Um, whereas you're on, on atheism, you're actually, you know, a theist without a God. You're, 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 you're making a truth claim about the nature of reality. And that truth claim is, it's not that you lack belief in God. It is, it's more than that. Um, because there are rocks that lack belief in God too, but they're not an atheist. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I, I think even even guys like Sam Harris um, and Richard Dawkins and those individuals, um, when they make that claim or that that assessment, I don't believe in God or the concept of a God. Um, we really need to understand. Well, what do you mean by God? I mean, there's there's there, there's tons of speculation to debate about what, what do we mean by God? And really, I mean, a, a God, no matter if you hold to a Christian view or not, um, is a God is anything that you put as the prime mover and force in your life. That mm -hmm. could be a person, it could be a concept, it can be um, an activity. Anything that you give your time, your money, your energy, your talents to, anything that you worship above anything else and put as the prime prime example or prime authority in your life that becomes your god um and that's not a that's not necessarily a christian worldview that's just a common sense um and, and rational argument um that anything that you devote yourself to um you may not call it your god but it becomes that by the level of dedication you ascribe to it right when you're talking with a when you're talking with an atheism um i know there's always a temptation for you know they could say well i don't believe that there's any god that exists or i do not believe in god they're they're probably arguing more of an um um you know you might say a, an argument from epistemology but they might be they're generally making more of an argument from ontology where they're they're saying that there is there is no divine personal creator that's that is the anchor point of my being and the first cause you know the first cause or the unmoved mover or um a benevolent force that's kind of um guiding and governing things um mm -hmm. that's generally what they're saying um for like what exactly what you said though um if that's if that's what they say by i do not believe in a god um that's that's that you know and that's that's generally at least the impression that i get when you have that conversation with people that's generally what they mean um from a christian perspective though and what you're saying if if the question is well i don't worship any god um then yeah let's let's talk about what we mean by that word god then um i think um so you're dealing with uh idolatry and a bunch of other stuff too and and that that segues 
kind of naturally into, um, you know, pursuing the lost and proclaiming the gospel and, and showcasing Christ in a postmodern, post-Christian world. Um, not only are you, um, not only are you, you making a case for, for Christ, um, but you're, you're also pointing out to, you're, you're pointing out the idolatry that, uh, um, that very quickly is manufactured and, uh, is, um, proliferated in a postmodern world, in a post-Christian world. And like you said, maybe it is my accomplishments. Maybe it is my money. Um, but it, it could be it could be other stuff too. I mean, I could I could worship myself as the arbiter and creator of truth, where basically whatever I say whatever I say goes. And my goodness, that's that's certainly the case right now. Where it doesn't matter what you know, facts are only valid if they fit my narrative. If they don't, I don't cite them. And if and if uh, they're presented to me, um, I'll dismiss them, um, or um, I'll assume that they're not reliable. Um, it's there's there's a there's a strong need for us to get to so i mean in that to that point this is where you know defining what do we mean by the word god is really really important um not some not simply some generic force or something like that but but a divine personal creator um and uh in my st- and then and then obviously you can you can from there you can get into talking about all sorts of other stuff too but I can't be the the foundation of my being. I can't be the foundation of good and evil, right and wrong, or defining those terms. I can't be the the litmus test for that. Um, certainly, I can look at human beings and I can see evil, but but the thing is, is that why something is good or why something is evil, um, we need um, a foundation outside of human beings that um, that is objective and universal and binding apart from my own personal opinion. That's not something that's relative or circumstantial, but something that is binding apart from me as a person and apart from me uh, within my context or my circumstances um, or my opinion, what I think or feel. And that's really tough to navigate um, right now because it just, you're trying to find common ground where you start having conversations like that and it can it you know it's uh it, that can be really challenging um knowing your context is key uh without a doubt so it sounds like you you definitely know uh what's going on in your neck of the woods yeah yeah um it, it, just the flow of flow of what you were talking about kind of dances back and forth with the whole um cosmological argument and the um morality argument for the existence of a of a divine creator um yeah i mean (laughs) there's there's so many ways you could take it and there's we've we've transitioned it's interesting and i can't remember now for the life of me where um where i heard this from which which source i gathered it from but but there was um there, the world was divided up, at least the modern world was divided up into different era eras or periods of um, time or influence or movements. Um, the first one being um, the death of scripture movement. And that was during the whole um, enlightenment period where we started. We ended up going to um, 
a, a revisitation of the classics, um, revisiting Aristotle, revisiting Socrates, revisiting Plato, re- revisiting Cicero and the deep thinkers and the orators. Um, we we um, you have the the rise of like um, um, Leonardo da Vinci, and you have all these Renaissance individuals that are coming. And and when we say the death of scripture, we don't mean as if the Bible just got ripped up and burned and everything regarding scripture was just lost. But the idea that scripture or um, the Bible or the canon, however you want to reference it, is no longer authoritative or mm-hmm. not solely authoritative. And then we transition from that to basically the time of like Charles Darwin, who's often credited as the, the mastermind behind um, evolution um, and um, survival of the fittest. And while he got stuff moving in that direction, He's not the major proponent of what it is today. The other individuals have turned it into what it is now. Mm-hmm. He's just the one that asked the question and got the possibility started. Um, and that that scene that he brought up um, was the the whole um, death of God movement, where you don't need God anymore to answer some of the big questions. Where you look at a bird and you say, "Oh, well, that bird um, has has small feathers and small wings, a smaller." skull and a longer torso that must have evolved from such and such creature fill in the blank and so going from the most minuscule um, observance of a possible um, evolution um, which we would define as micro evolution um, and then trying to apply it to broad terms like man and um, the creation of the world and saying now we have macro evolution and this is where it came from so we we prescribed a an alternative to a belief in a god or a divine mover or creator um, and then you get into past that point into probably the industrial age and basically up and all the way until we're at now um, which is called um, the death of man movement um, yeah. where where identity and personhood and Everything that makes up a person a person and a human a human, where where the very absolutes of things of that nature are are discredited and disregarded, mm-hmm. and and that's where we're at now. I take it back. There's not the four stage movement; it's the three stage movement. But but that um, but that's what we're in now. Where the death of man movement, where um, and 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 um, God talks about this. Uh, our our Savior talks about this so much, and. Um, in the book of judges where he says everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And, and I was talking about this earlier with another brother. Um, and, uh, and it was, we, we knew that before, right. That the rationality of I'm the, I'm my own boss. I'm my own God. I can rule my own life. I can make my own choices. I'm not going to be accountable to anybody. So we we've known that for a while of everyone does what is right in their own eyes. But now we see it not merely from a, theoretical um philosophical viewpoint but also a societal practical standpoint Mm -hmm. of how we just disregard as you were saying we disregard what is proof or factual because if it doesn't meet my worldview or my agenda then it doesn't matter even if it is provable or factual yeah it's um (laughs) you 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 kind of are uh jogging my memory on um (laughs) um for this upcoming Sunday, I'm, I'm preaching on, on James chapter four, kind of what, what the NIV 84 is titled the section boasting about tomorrow. Oh yeah. Um, where it's like, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on our business and make money. Um, 
why you, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, uh, we will live and do this or that. Um, or if it is the Lord's will. Um, as it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who does, uh, who knows what is good, um, knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And um, that, um, that that attitude of arrogance or presumptuousness, where it's like I'm I'm the master of my own destiny and I'm going to chart my own course and I'm gonna I'm gonna carve out what I feel is right or I'm gonna do what I want. And um, you know, lest we think that that's something that that that's always been. Um, an inherent part of the sinful nature where I want to be equal or greater than God, or I want to be, I want to be God, um, stand tantamount to God. Um, uh, that was the, that was the lie pushed by Satan. That was, uh, his rallying cry too, when he rebelled against God as well. So it's, um, but I've often heard kind of what you were saying before that, that today is described as the, the era of transhumanism where, um, for for some time, like you've already alluded, you know, maybe in the in the maybe the 1900s or the the yeah, we'll say the 20th century, you saw that especially where there were congregations that maybe at one time had ardently held to a an orthodox confessional Christian standpoint, or when it came down to the teachings of Scripture or uh, what the Bible says, and um, then you have uh, this the proliferation of science or just the um, some of the things that you were describing, some of the scientific movements that were or the the theories that were being presented. And now you, you and then you have a lot of people who subscribe to that or support it or follow that. And then you had these Christian churches who, in the face of these things, they felt feel the need to bend a knee. Um, because you know, lest you lest you disagree with science and come across as like a now again science, as uh, uh, as uh, the secular world may define it, um, they will they'll often conflate as I said in a previous podcast they'll conflate study of the natural world with the natural world itself, and so <laughs> um, Christian churches who <laughs> who who don't want to come across as appearing unscientific or um, irrational, um, they then modify their belief system in order to somewhat harmonize what um, um, what uh, some modern scientists are saying with what the Bible says. So, but you see that you had been seeing that in a lot of respects, where people would bend the knee to science. If science rules it, therefore it is. Now you don't see that um, when you know science was. Uh, and I say this in somewhat of a, in a, like referring to it more in a secular sense, but uh, science was kind of a, everybody bowed the knee to science. <laughs> it, it seemed like but now, now you have social movements or you see, you see activists where, um, where language like my truth is thrown out and, and it doesn't matter what science may say. It doesn't matter what science books or textbooks or biology textbooks have been saying. Um, if I define reality as A, then it is A. And no book or no uh, schema can say otherwise. I think postmodernism at its core isn't so much a, a denouncement of all that, all truth, or that, like, it's not, it, I've often heard it, you know, recalibrated or just kind of corrected as 
it's not a an adherence that there is no truth but it is a it is a sharp skepticism against all systems that claim to to hold absolute truth um that they have all the answers figured out or that they have a uh, a thorough robust worldview that that uh, is exhaustive and has um absolute truth claims on certain stuff and so but but that's that's what you see today like uh you see this in um when it comes down to we'll say it matters of uh when does human life begin the discussion of uh abortion or um bodily autonomy um the um the transgender movement um there's a significant there's a significant amount of that that takes place there too but um yeah so you know, just kind of riffing on what you've been saying there it's uh um these are exceptionally interesting times to live and it can be very challenging to find common ground um for where you um have discussions um uh where to start from but uh yeah but like you said i think you you, you said to me at one time you know when it comes to the apologetic task of the Christian, the pastor, uh, the teacher, the lay leader, or just the lay person. Um, the apologetic task that's been entrusted to Christians um, is not one that is mutually exclusive to evangelism. Um, your, your apologetic task making is always in service to gospel proclamation and pointing to Christ. 